G'day, Legend. Welcome back to the Noob Spiro Podcast. I'm assuming you're rejoining me, but if you're brand new here for the first time, my name is Shrek and I get to host this awesome sucker. It's called the Noob Spiro Podcast. I interview spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from around the world and uh, we froth on, that is for sure. Today it's Nick Anastasia, Nick the Hammer, at Team Sea Monkeys on Instagram. This dude's sick. He's um, he's kind of a wild man, but he's very He's very contained, very self-contained, very interesting dude. I had a really cool chat with him all about Hawaii, and uh, I, I, I can never say it right. I'm trying, but so please bear with me. Uh, so at Team Sea Monkeys, if you want to check, check out what he does, blue water spearfishing, shore diving sometimes. And uh, this guy's taken down some insane fish, and he's just a really cool guy. It's a really interesting conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we're going to get there in, in two shakes of a lamb's tail, as they say. Um, before we get there, Jobfish, the Jobfish tribute. And, uh, jeepers, what an apt interview to help me launch this sucker. I have paid for a bunch of hoodies, shirts, and stickers that I'm shopping, shopping, that I'm stocking right here at the Noob Spiro studio. I'm going to have a bunch of images coming up on our at Noob Spiro Instagram and on noobspiro.com. Check it out. There is a, an awesome sale going on. I'm going to have free shipping Australia-wide for the hoodies, shirts, and stickers for the Jobfish tribute gear. Uh, for the international guys, if you buy a hoodie or a shirt, I'm going to throw in a free sticker uh, at about $10 value uh, for free just to help make up for the shipping pain from, uh, from Australia. In other news, uh, book sales going off. Spearfishing Superstore, I've got it in Cairns, Spearwest in Perth, Boss Outdoor in Mirimbula, Fergo's Tackle World in Wollongong, Batavia Coast Dive and Water Sports in Geraldton, Adreno Aspley, Adreno Wollongabba, Adreno Gold Coast, Adreno Melbourne, Adreno Sydney, Adreno Perth, Neptune Spear and Dive in Mackay, Giataku by Derek in Perth has got it, Thwaites Marine in Coffs Harbour, Mo Tackle Coffs Harbour, Exmouth Tackle and Camping Supplies, Barbecues and More in Browns Plains, Hunt Gather Grow in Bedell in New South Wales, East to West Freediving in British Columbia, Spearfishing UK in Cornwall, Sky Spearfishing in Scotland, Typer Tackle in Northland, Ocean Hunter in Whangarei, Wellington and Auckland. All these guys have got 99 Spear recipes in stock. Get in there to uh, one of these legends that are helping to um, get this book into our spearfishing community's hands. It's uh, probably the best resource going for teaching guys how to care for their catch from shooting the fish to absolutely taking care of it and putting on an amazing meal for your family and friends and making the most of this awesome lifestyle spearfishing. So thank you to all the retailers. If you can't get to any of them, it's always up on noobspear.com or Amazon. Uh, and yeah, if you just want to check out the digital edition, that's there as well. It's a full color PDF that will drop to you. Uh, awesome. Hey, I'm on the hunt for a couple of new, uh, new sponsors as well. Basically, the deal is I love long-term partners for the podcast, people that make and do fantastic stuff that serve our community. If you have some ideals, uh, some ideas for potential partners for me, please email me, shrek at noobspirit.com. We only partner with people that look after our community. But if you if you know someone, let me know, shrek at noobspirit.com. Um, yeah, get into the Jobfish tribute stuff, my friend. Hey, let's get into it. Nick Anastasia at Team Sea Monkeys. This is a rad dude and a rad chat. I hope you enjoy it. Adreno stocks equipment for noobers. The gear you need for all things freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno spearfishing team froth on helping customers learn about the latest in spearfishing equipment, local diving, upcoming trips and events for spiros of all levels of experience. There's no ego in there. 
you're going to meet cool people that love this spearing lifestyle as much as you do. Visit them in store in one of their huge mega stores around Australia. Chat to one of their friendly team members. Take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 in store, online, easy savings. Pump in the code Noob Spiro if you're shopping online or in store. Mention it's one of their friendly team members and save $20 over $200. That's right, use the code NoobSpiro in store. Shop with Adreno, our partner for more than 200 episodes. I was left with an empty cooler after missing and wounding a bunch of fish with a shoddy spear gun. A work colleague urged me to speak to Naptonics, and I'm so glad I did. Without Jerry and the Naptonics team, I would have kept missing bulk fish and coming home to my wife empty-handed. Now I can focus on slaying monster hogs and groper and covering the deck of my boat in blood. Never buy a shitty piece of equipment again. Shop Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% and go spearing with confidence. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Shop Neptonics.com, free shipping for the lower 48 for orders over $199 and you can save 10% when you use the code NOOB10, N-O-O-B-1-0 at Neptonics.com. Hoorah! All right, we'll get a Noob Spirit community. I'm joined by Nick Anastasia. Um, he's a Hawaiian resident. He's a Hawaii diver. Um, Nick and I have sort of been trying to jack up an interview for, I don't know, nine months or something, as usual, the backwards and forwards and the time zones and stuff. But Nick the Hammer has joined me. How are you, Nick? I'm good. How you doing, brother? Yeah, good, good. So you, you're normally a Hawaiian resident, but right now you're in Japan. Tell me about this craziness. Yeah, no, just doing a little international trip with my girlfriend. Unfortunately, not diving out here. Um, but I did talk to Brandon Whalers. Yeah, yeah. Who is in a, he's, I think he's a little bit down south of here somewhere. Yeah. Um, and he just shot like a 50-kilo dog out here. So yeah. I would love to come out here and dive. But I think it's a little bit... Uh, crazy with the laws like yes you can dive in certain prefectures but you got to have permission yes i'm not really sure how it all works i'm not but. sure either i know the tuna lobby there um the commercial fishery kind of run things there in japan and they dictate how the recreational sector sort of functions and um okay. i've been in touch with a couple of japanese divers because they do some amazing stuff and uh yeah most of them dive pole spears specifically i believe that's legal but maybe spear guns are not uh, again, that might be different from prefecture to prefecture, like you sort of said. Yeah. No, I saw, um, you saw that guy, Mission 100. He uh, takes down big doggies with the pole spear, man. I don't know where he's at, but they definitely got some real fish out here. They've got crazy, then I, they've got crazy stuff too. So down south, you've got like dog tooth, and then up north, you've got like proper Arctic fish because Japan's quite a long country. So they've kind of got all the extremes there. Mission 100. Yeah. I'm typing it in. Is that Instagram? I think so. Mission 100. He's just a young, young Japanese local that like dedicated his life to spearfishing and just like takes out 100. He's, he's going for a 100 kilo doggy on the pole spear. Hand makes all his stuff. But um, yeah, they've got some insane diving out here. 
And I know there's a couple guys like Hot Rod Spearfishing and, and some of those guys on Instagram. I don't know if you follow them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they they dive out of Okinawa. Yeah. Oh, shoot, we're blowing up the spots right now, man. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but I don't know what they're doing, if it's illegal or what the situation yeah, yeah. is, man. Well, but what? I'm trying to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was just listening to you. No, you can you can edit this out. If nah, nah, we're not. We're gonna blow it up now, bro. We're already into it. Oh, I listen to. You. I end up in Japanese prison, man. Yeah, I listened to your interview on Spear Factor with Brett. There was some good yarns in there, man, about um about blue water hunting. So hopefully we can get into a bit of that with this chat. Oh yeah, for sure. As usual, I did top notch noob spear research. So where did you get your nickname, the Hammer, from? The Hammer. I didn't know that was my nickname, bro. Oh, I thought that was your nickname. I see some guys calling you the Hammer. Oh, really? That's just that's just um that's like Hawaiian slang. What does it mean? If you're if you're if you're a good diver, you're a hammer. You, ah, you kill fish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's what we say in Hawaii anyway. Yeah, nice. Cool, cool. Man, you got on a trip to French Polynesia. I saw you took your dad with you. And uh looks like he shot a good fish as well. He shot a sailfish with the G Man, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of background. My name's Nick. Uh, I'm a shore diver from Oahu. And my earliest memories of diving were just holding on to my dad's back and snorkeling around Shark's Cove on Oahu. Yeah. Um, but I didn't start diving and spearfishing seriously until I came back to Oahu from college um, and kind of got into it and found a passion for blue water spearfishing. But yeah, man, we, we recently went out um, last summer or I guess the Southern Hemisphere winter and, and did a trip out to French Polynesia with G. And man, it was just like the most intense. It was like spearfishing on steroids. Um, and G is just like a hardcore dude. He's just like a, yeah, he's, he's a beast in the water and he put us on some big fish. Yeah. And you see, I see him shoot some crazy stuff. So guys can go yeah. and follow him. It's like Gerard Graves and, um, yeah, but I saw that selfish your dad shot. So walk us through that that hunt. Were you there for it? Yeah. So, oh yeah, we were definitely there for it. Um, so he 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 charters us a little boat. It's like a Tahitian fishing fishing vessel. It's like inboard diesel, just like real hardcore fishing boat. Um, and like we already took like three planes, a train, and a bus to get to this <laughs> island, right? And then we take this diesel boat and we motor it way offshore um, to this atoll just out in the middle of the Pacific. Right. And like, we're just, we're just out there and we pull up on this atoll and it's like, it's beautiful, man. It's just like completely deserted. Like, I don't, I don't know if humans have ever been there, um, but we jump out into the water and it's just like, well, actually let, let me start over. So we're looking for the fish, right? We pull up to the atoll and they throw out trolling lures. Um, so we got the lures in the water and we didn't have them out for more than 30 seconds before we got a hit. Wow. So we start reeling it in, reeling it in. And the whole lure was snipped off. So I jump in and um, G told me not to shoot anything, right? He was like, we're going to wait for the biggest fish. So I jump in and, you know, I got my gun load. I'm looking around and immediately I'm just getting schooled by like, wahoo like like i don't know just a huge full of them all like 50 to 100 pounds and they're just coming straight at me <laughs> um so i had one he's probably about 80 pounds just breezed me within like five feet and i didn't pull a trigger um oh, so he jumps in the water yeah 
he drops the flasher and then the whole school turns around and the, the same Wahoo that passed me, he was like, that's the biggest one. So I, I dropped down. I nailed that one. Yep. Um, thing just took off. Yeah. And I got that one on the boat. He was about at, uh, 34 kilos or something like that. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. That was a big one. Um, and earlier in the trip, sorry about the sailfish. Yeah. My dad, um, it was, it was like the first day that we were diving there and, uh, we didn't see much action all day and we were like floating in the water and out of nowhere, this big sailfish just comes up to the flashers and I'm like, dad, dad, go, go, go dive. He dies. He just nails it. And then, uh, you know, we fight it, we get it up. And that was like his first sailfish. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty epic. Yeah. And he, you know, he's the one that got me into diving. So to see him shoot like a, the fish of a lifetime like that was, was huge for me. I was so, going to say that. Like, yeah, read, insane diving out in French Polynesia for sure. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I read some of your posts about, you know, how he got you into it and that. Like, you know, he, he used to take you snorkeling every week when you were young. And I mean, that's a huge head start, isn't it, in the ocean? Yeah, a little bit. I, I didn't really get into spearfishing until I got back from college, but we were always around the water when we were younger. What you um, study? He was, um, psychology of hey. all things. Yeah, yeah. And I got 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 my master's in business, but so completely unrelated to the ocean. Um, but he, my dad, he was one of those hardcore like scuba spearfishing guys in the '90s, and they used to just go out and pound lobster and all that, yeah. um, which is kind of frowned upon now, which is why there isn't any more lobster on Oahu. But yeah, it is what it is. So, how many years have since college and like how long have you been spearing like hard hardcore um shoot how old are you? maybe since since 2014 i've been diving so nearly 10 so, years yeah yeah do you froth on it just as hard now as you did when you started oh dude absolutely 100 percent. i would say more so these yeah. days why yeah yeah um man I guess just, you know, I think just in day-to-day life, just, you know, working um, and just having all those obligations to get into the ocean and go spearfishing and like be connected to nature. Mm. Uh, that's just, it, it sort of takes you away from all that. Uh, there's a quote from Natalia Molkanova. Yeah. I think she's Alexei Molkanov's mother. Okay. Um, hardcore freediver. She was quoted saying, "Freediving is not only a sport, but a way to understand who you are. And when we go down, if you don't think, you understand we are whole. We are one with the world. When we think we're separate, and I just think, man, in modern day life, you just you just got so much going on, and we've become so disconnected from nature. When when I spearfish, like, kind of brings me back to that. Hundred mm, so, percent in the moment, sort of thing." Yeah, yeah. And I think any any diver can attest to that, you know. Yeah, being fully present, it requires all of you. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw a beautiful photo of you with a Wahoo taken by Mark Moller. Is he a friend of yours? Oh, yeah, Mark Moller. He's a hardcore waterman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he's, got, he's got like five or six different Zodiacs. Yeah. So that was one that I just shot recently out of Oahu. Um one of the first, it's actually where I shot my, my first Ono. Uh, so real special fish. 
But yeah, that, that one ended up going about 60, just over 60 pounds, which is kind of almost unheard of for Oahu. Yeah, right. So it was, yeah, just a, the fish of a lifetime. Uh, and I got it printed by a renowned Yotaku artist named Naoki. Uh, so it was just an incredible fish. But yeah, Mark, Mark's a solid brata. <laughs> what's the what's the flight time from um hawaii to japan and where are you and are you, are you in osaka i am we just got to kyoto but uh, yeah it was about seven hours yeah bro i love kyoto i love it there. oh have you been yeah man a rush ayama if you get a chance like rent one of those crazy electric bicycles and go for a bike to a rush ayama it's amazing a bamboo forest and if you hit up oh this, yeah this we're definitely gonna do that up this river there, there's like this um, weird old monk's house. He was like a business person and stuff. There's crazy stuff to see in Japan. Yeah. 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 We're going to go check it all out. Go to the temples and all that. Get into some okonomiyaki as well while you're there, man. How you like that? What stuff? is that? Uh, it's like a Japanese pancake, but they make it with like noodles and stuff. And then they put like their barbecue sauce over it with, um, uh, what's that other, like that mayo they make? The Kewpie Mayo, and it's just yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable. Banging street okay. food, so health, so healthy too. Japanese food, it's <laughs> apart from the stuff yeah, I yeah. like, which is all the dirty street food. But. Yeah, no, it's good stuff out here for sure. I'll go check it out. Yeah, man, have fun. Um, also, there's a Comic Con, um, like um, a backpack is there I stayed in, and it's like one of those cubicle ones, but it like okay. in the backpackers, it's this huge like um manga uh library full of like you know dragon ball z and you know all those crazy cartoons and stuff that we all sort of grew up with yeah yeah yeah, yeah dragon ball z that's a classic yeah yeah anyway side note um man you seem like you've got like a pretty lively community of um of hammer divers over there uh in hawaii i saw this pineapple kid dude i've never seen him come up before he's got a youtube oh, channel young, and stuff. young pineapple kid yeah he seems a bit yeah. crazy tell, tell me about him and diving with him Oh, he's he's one of my young boys. He's he's a buddy of mine. He's just a he's a he's a frother, yeah. just like you and I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he he's just one of my young boys, and I got to I got the opportunity to put him on his first wahoo, and yeah, he's just big into diving. Sick. Um, yeah, he's got his YouTube channel. Check him out, Pineapple Kids. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. um, man, you guys have a unique thing there too in Hawaii. You get to do like proper blue water shore diving. Which, which, like, there's so much yeah. that can go wrong when you're blue water hunting and you really enjoy the support of a boat. Talk to me about blue water shore diving. Yeah, man. So I do most of my, my blue water shore diving on Big Island. Um, so just to give you some background, uh, Big Island's around 300,000 years old, right? And the, the rest of the Hawaiian Islands are between, like, 1 and 4 million years old. So... It's the youngest island of them all. Yeah. And um, it's the biggest and it's the steepest. So the, the underwater topography is, is perfect for blue water, right? Because you swim out like 100 yards, not even, and you're in 400, 500 feet of water. Um, so it's just very conducive to blue water diving. Mm. Um, but with that being said, like, you know, you, you're, you're that far offshore that quickly there's gnarly current mm. so it's it, it's yeah it's, so you like 
you, you remember you shoot a wahoo, right? You shoot like a 45-pounder or something. Those things will yeah. take you for a good kilometre ride depending on your uh, your shot placement and stuff like that. Like you get a fish drags right. you out into the hectic current. I mean, what's your process from there? What do you do? You just swim like swim like a, yeah, like so, a hammer? Like, you know what? <laughs> like a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. But I'm, 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 I'm very safety oriented when it comes to diving. Uh, so we get out there and, you know, an owner will show up and it's, it, it does, it's, it's not going off like French Polynesia where you just got fish after fish after fish coming through. Uh, you could be diving for like a good three or four hours, you know, maybe even longer before you even see a fish. Um, so you dive down, you know, hopefully you get a good shot into it. It takes off. And the first thing that I'm doing, if we're like blue water shore diving is I'll just, I'll grab the, the bungee and just immediately start like kind of beelining it for shore just to get out of that open ocean current. Um, and then kind of work the fish from there. Uh, but you know, just some, some tips for shore diving. Um, I always like to know where I am relative to like a landmark. Yeah. So that, that way you can sort of tell how far you've drifted, which is, which is basic stuff. But in the heat of the moment, like you got a big wahoo on, you're not always paying attention to that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but I'm, you know, constantly always looking up at the shoreline and, and trying to bring that fish close in. Um, so yeah, I'd say definitely, you know, pay attention to where you are relative to the shore. And like, I mean, you shoot a couple of good fish. It's a fair amount of weight to drag into current as well. So like, have you been caught in, you know, rugged offshore hitting currents and how did you sort of get around that? Oh yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like, I, I think most divers on big Island can say that they've been in a situation where they just stuck on the treadmill, um, which is like, you know, you got a fish on your float, uh, and you're swimming and you're just not making any ground. Typically what you want to do is you want to just try and beeline it straight for shore. You don't want to try and swim up current and like back into where you're at yeah. or where you might've jumped in at. You want to just beeline it straight for shore. And then, you know, the current's going to push you down, but eventually you'll make it to land. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely been times where I've been dragging fish and, um, like, unfortunately just had to cut the fish loose Yeah. and, and you know, make it back to shore. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what matters most is just is getting back. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you, you know, like I, I always got that sort of order of operations in the back of my head when I'm when I'm shore diving. You know, worst case scenario, I'll ditch the fish. Um. If if it gets really hectic, hectic, I'll drop my weight belt. If it gets worse, you know, I'll drop the gun and just hang on to the float and use it like a boogie board. Yep. Um. And I think that's that's something that you know, every diver should be willing to do. Yeah, man. Or to I have mean, in the back of their mind, worst case scenario, you know. Because sometimes you're jumping off these like sheer rock faces and it's not like you can take a kayak or a sup with you. Like you, you have no. to like just have gear you can carry and you don't really know where you're going to come to shore either. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, ideally you got an entry and exit point where you know you're going to get in at. Um, but sometimes, man, like the ocean just has other plans. And actually recently some divers went out that, that weren't from big Island. They went to, you know, a popular big Island spot. Um, it was like crazy onshore winds. It was just after like the full moon mm. where, you know, the current was in full swing and 
I guess the guys had got separated. I don't know really what the situation was. Um, but one of the one of the divers didn't realize how far he was offshore because it's sort of hard to tell, you know, even looking at the land. Yeah. And he got stuck on the treadmill and like he actually had it luckily had a PLB on him, the personal locator beacon. Yeah. Yep. He popped it and then after about two and a half hours he made it back to shore. Um and they called off the rescue and everything, but it just, you know, goes to show what can happen out there. Crazy. So you gotta have a healthy respect for it for sure. Not many people have swam nonstop into current for two hours either. Like you get this this lactic burn in your muscles and there's no stopping. Yeah. You can't stop because you're going the opposite way as fast as you can swim. So you have to stay on that yeah. treadmill. And yeah. it's like sure mon- is, mongrel and willpower that just gets you in it. Eh? Yeah, man. And it's like realistically, like how long can you even keep that up? Yep. You know, depending on how conditioned you are, which is like another like big tenant of shore diving for me. And I just do this naturally now is like energy conservation, you know, in every way. Like sometimes people will set up buoys uh, inshore, like fishermen and like any opportunity that I get to hang on to that buoy and just rest for a little bit, you know, I'm taking it and um, just being efficient with how you're swimming and how you're finning and, you know, trying to minimize the amount of crap that you have hanging off your float. Uh, it's like all stuff to take into consideration when you're short diving. Have you thought about the angle of the fin blades? Because a lot of people talk about this, particularly guys that like to swim long distances. Like, you know, like a lot of comp divers might swim, you know, like they might swim four or five miles uh, to, in a comp in one session. And so, yeah. you know, having a fins that are good at swimming along the surface can be a game changer. Have you thought much about the angle of the blade to the foot pockets and stuff? Because some fin manufacturers tout, you know, their angle is the best and there's, there's, there's arguments about it. Have you looked into that? You know what? I haven't, I haven't studied like the physics behind the angle of the blade. Mm. I can tell you that I've used like many different types of fin and foot pocket. And I recently bought a, a pair of dive R's yeah. and those are hands down the best fins I've ever used. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, sponsored by them or anything like that they're, they're a legit fin yeah um i did i did get my dad a pair of leader fins that you know had a little bit more of an aggressive angle yeah i think and i noticed that uh it seems like he's not getting as much propulsion yeah out of his fins so i i mean take that for what it's worth yeah yeah, yeah. i would I, w- I would say i would say dude, just get a pair of dive bars <laughs> like they're solid yeah. like you can't go wrong with them. With with dive R's and penetrators, I mean, uh, those fins are made an hour south of me and they're purpose-made for a spearfishing application. A lot of spearers get sucked into the trap of this lighter, you know, super like, you know, no layers of carbon, but and, and it just feels like you're wearing paper on your feet. And, um, and they're, they're for high-performance single freediving dives. I think the difference between spearfishing and freediving fins is ours are robust and will give you power out of the hole when you want it. And that, and they have that balance between performance and, you know, and being robust. I think there's a difference there. And, and sometimes spearos don't understand the distinction. What do you think? Oh, yeah, 100%. I've, I've had a set of like carbon freediving fins and, you know, they're, they're buttery smooth in the water, but um and they're great for diving straight up and down and you know lake-like conditions but if you're getting some heavy current or you're trying to boost up a big fish like those aren't doing you any favors 
What's the story with that company, uh, Moana Waterman? They're a Hawaiian company, aren't they? They made good fins a few years ago. Are they still around, or what's happening with them? I think I think they got bought out by Headhunter Spearfishing out of Florida. Okay, pretty sure. But yeah, those are solid fins. I had a I had a pair of Moana Waterman. Um, those are decent. Yeah, cool. Still going with the dive bar as well. Man, um, you've got this surrealistic photoshopped picture of you holding a an Ono with I think maybe a with a uku, and you're in a hex oh, yeah, suit, dude. and you you've photoshopped in that that um Garfield like um you, you remember the do you remember Garfield and he and they it was like this this Hawaii series and it's that surrealistic sort of art and you photoshopped that in the background. It's a rad picture, man, on your Instagram. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I my brother actually did that for me. He's Sick. he's kind of an artist. Yeah. And um you know, a lot of people they don't like you posting with the background. Yeah. And uh I I see a lot of guys they just kind of blur it out, but he he got creative with it and put that together. I Love thought that it. was really cool. Man, that's I was going to get it like printed out in the frame. Yeah, that's what I'll do cool with one. it. It's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, what 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 photo is that behind? What Joe Taku is that behind you? That That's like one I movie. did. Yeah, it's a Chinaman. Um, over in Western Australia, you can hunt them. Over here in Queensland, on the east side of Australia, you they are um, often filled with cigatera, so uh, we can't oh, hunt okay. them here. But in Western Australia, they don't have that to contend with. So I got to shoot one, and they're just like a ball of muscle, and they're a rad yeah. fish, man. Heaps of character. They're like a pit bull. Those things just yeah. they go off like a frog in a sock. Using Australian, oh, really? Australian slang there on you. <laughs> Strong fish, good tasting. Uh people argue about it. Like they say, like because it's so muscly, like it's a bit more. It's not a tender fish. Um, you know, like most fish, like subject to how you cook them. You know, like you guys have the the GTs there. Yeah, you know, and and some people will complain. What do you call a GT there again? A lure. Lure. But yeah. uh, across parts of the world, they hate them. But you guys like eating them a lot of the time, don't you? Oh yeah, it's like it's a trophy fish. It's like, yeah, I still I still haven't shot a big alua yet. Yeah. So it's it's one of those elusive, you know, really hard to catch fish. Yeah. And I think it goes back to the ancient Hawaiians and that. Yeah. But yeah, you know. I'd put the Chinaman on like a kind of a like a thing with that. But they're just they're crazy. They've they've um. Just a mongrel thing. They're, they're pretty curious too. And well, I, I got sport. I got schooled up by well, maybe like ten or twelve of them at one time. That fish probably, that fish went to town on me. Gave me a good, good, good run. And it was nice to yeah. print it and just to be able to honour that. It's a special experience being over there. It's not something I get to shoot here in Queensland. So I printed that myself. That was my very first one. Uh, Derek, Dude, that, that's awesome. Derek Tan. Hey, I, I, I had Derek. Um, Derek Giataku who. Um, come in and showed me so he walked me through it so i i still buggered it up but like not as bad as i would have if i just did it bro i got i got respect for anyone that has the patience to try and go talk to a fish because i've i've tried to do it a handful of times and like to even get something that slightly resembles a fish yeah is yeah that's hard to do um and he's got told, about that yeah sorry nah, about sure. that wahoo that i got gyotaku yeah um i had that renowned gyotaku artist naoki print that 60 pound wahoo i shot recently um what's their what's spot. the instagram handle so i can check him dude so here's the thing man he has instagram i think it's naoki gyotaku yeah. but he's just like an old school hardcore like japanese artist he's like approaching his 60s 
And, you know, I, I showed up to his workshop and I was all excited to be there. So I, I pulled out my phone and, you know, I was, of course, you know, taking pictures and videos and stuff. And he, he, he just stopped me and pulled me aside. He was like, hey, listen, I, I want you to I want you to be here and experience this in this moment with me. <laughs> um, and he and I was like, oh, you know what? That's that's real. And he was just talking about like how, you know, these days we're so accustomed to, to pulling out our phone and in special moments and just like not fully living it. Um, and yeah, man. So just real special moment to print that fish and, and, and do that. So I got, I got, I got, uh, I got respect for that, that fish back there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I'm just looking at his, um, his Instagram. He's got one post up Kiyotaku by Naoki. Dude, he is not a social media guy. He was like, he was like, Hey, I don't want you posting that fish on social media. You know, just, <laughs> just keep it to yourself kind of deal. Like with the, the painting and all that. So yeah. I good on him. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, I love that feeling underwater when you pull the trigger and you know exactly where that shaft is going. You want something dependable. You want to put that fish that you've been chasing for a lifetime in the boat, in the cooler, in the esky, in the chili bin if you're in New Zealand. Why do we call all these things different names? Anyway, today's show sponsor, KillshotSpearGuns.com. Make awesome wooden timber spear guns a fantastic shooting platform. If you've ever shot a big timber gun, you know the, the reliability that you get from these things. They, he mostly makes enclosed track spear guns. Visit him at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB to save $30 on any Killshot spear gun. Hey guys, not sure how you stay hydrated out on the boats on those long days out on the water, uh, but staying hydrated is absolutely critical to Gourds. Good equalization and looking after your body, making sure you're not doing those awkward one-legged kicks to the surface when, when one leg cramps out on you. Go to aqualite.com.au and get yourself a box of sachets. You just simply add them to water. It's less than $1.28 per serve. It's cheaper and cheaper and healthier than any other sports drinks on the market. Aqualite will make a difference in your spearfishing. Check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSparrow to save 10% on any order. Check it out. Aqualite, made in Western Australia. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. There's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel and Hands-Free Equalization, Mouthful, Deep Frenzel Equalization, Bifinning Essentials. These are courses that will give you the 1% that will allow you to improve. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off at freedivingfamily.com. Thanks, Adam and team. Love it. I've got some notes here, man. Like, um... I noticed you you use a, a large sort of blue water roller gun. Um, is that your go-to? Uh, yeah, man. Now it is, and I've I've used so many different types of blue water guns. Um, I, I've shot most of my fish with just a traditional three-banded pipe gun, Aim Right One Forty King Venom. Yep. Like go-to blue water gun. Uh, yeah, you, I mean. You could beat that gun to death and it'll sue you. It's like the AK-47 of spearfishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I recently, I've been getting into the inverted roller. Mm. And um, one of my friends, Paul Hutchings, uh, met him down in Tahiti with Gerard. He's like a custom gun builder. Is, that, is that Mr. Joints? 
It's in another. No, building. not oh, Mr. Sorry. Joints. Okay. Yeah, he's 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 another builder that builds inverted spear guns. Okay. Um, and he's he's the owner of of several Alemanis. He's a saturation diver, something of an engineer and a carpenter, and also a spear fisherman. And he's been putting together these crazy double-double uh, inverted spear guns. And that's the gun that I'm using now. It's like 155 centimeters total length, uh, 140 centimeters band stretch. And it's a double roller that shoots a nine millimeter shaft. Um, and, you know, to, to I think a lot of guys, that seems kind of impractical. And it's like, it's, it's just too big. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you're, if you're serious about blue water spear fishing and you put a lot of time in the water, I think, you know, the biggest gun that you can reasonably swim with is, is the one that you want to go with just because, I mean, you spend enough time out in the blue, like you're going to, you're going to run across a, a fish that, that's going to put your gun to the test. So, yeah. and that, that definitely, that, that was the case with me in, in a bunch of different situations, but I'm using yeah. this, um, I'm using like a one meter single roller pipe gun and it's carbon barrel. And this thing's just like so fun, man. Like if I want to hunt caves, it's just like, it's on, it's on. But then like I have a 15 kilo, like, um, you know, Spanish mackerel can swim up to me and I'm just kind of like, I got to get close. And then I, I've, I landed one the other day. Um, but I'm just kind of like, I wish for more power sometimes. And I, I've been thinking yeah. and making this, you know, like, cause it throws the shaft hard, but like if I run into a, a good wahoo or something with that gun, I, I, I kind of, I don't have the confidence to land it. So I'm in that process of thinking my way through getting a double roller or an inverted, but you've gone one up yeah. on that. You've gone a double inverted. Double, double inverted, dude. It's got four rollers on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's next level. Even when I got it, I was like, this is, this is too much. This is crazy. Yeah. But, um, but is it, is it yeah, like, man. how long does it take you to reload it? Like, have you had any failures on it? Um, how robust well, and resilient so, is it and easy to use? Yeah, dude. And that's, that's the thing with these inverted rollers is like the more complex the gun is, the more components you have on the gun. Yeah. Right. So the more, the more points of failure, you know, yep. you got freaking 18 wishbones, you got to make sure all of them are tight. Um, so the good thing about Paul's guns is that, you know, he uses like titanium metal and, this sources all the best parts from around the world. But uh, yeah, as far as loading, it, it honestly doesn't take me that much longer than it would to load like a traditional, like four or five banded gun, which is what they use out in California um, to shoot bluefin tuna. So, yeah. and you know, honestly with blue water spearfishing, I'm probably swimming around for four or five hours and pulling the trigger once or twice. Right. Yep. So it's, it's not, I'm not too concerned about reload time. Um, yeah. So what's your, I, what's your I, effective range? I just want to make sure that, you know, I have an accurate shot. Say again? What's your effective range throwing a nine mil spear? Dude, honestly, me and my buddy, Che, we, we tested those guns and I was, I was shooting out to like 25 feet, <laughs> which is, which is like, <laughs> No, the, oh, the best man. part is you don't even have to dive for the fish. Oh. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you just blast stuff from the surface. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm just shooting them from the top, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Far out. Yeah. Hey, look at look at Kim Jong Il. Like he, he comes Nick with his 
with this double and third. He's double, double. missile. <laughs> and you got Ryan Myers. He's out here diving to 150 feet, man. Just shoot him from the top. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you can, you can keep all that deep diving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just buy a bigger gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long did, was what was the like the adaptation curve to this um to this gun? Like you were saying, you come from a conventional like a King Venom, like so you yeah. you jump on this gun. How long was it? Were you accurate with it from the start? Like was it like? Well, so here's here's the thing, man. With most guns, if if you were to take you know whatever single or double roller or triple banded traditional gun that you're using, and you were to shoot a target right at 20 or so feet, I would say most guns that I've used, anecdotally speaking, like they don't shoot straight, nah. right? They're, they're, they're curving off to the left. They're curving off to the right. They're shooting low, depending on how you have it set up. With, with the gun that I got from Paul, the, the, shoot, the thing shoots flat, yeah. you know? So it was actually just a matter of me getting used to a gun that actually shot straight. Because my Aimrite 140, it's a deadly gun, but... Um, I think naturally it was shooting a little bit high. So you're compensating so I, for that. I, yeah, so I was compensating. So it took me a while to to learn to shoot a gun that shoots straight. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it definitely takes at least a few dives to get dialed in and get used to the reloading and stuff like that. But you know, once you got that figured out, like I don't, I'm, I, I won't go back to my traditional gun. Who's this guy again? Know? What's his name? Uh, at Paul underscore Hutchings. And I think him and G tested those guns down in French Polynesia, you know, side by side with the Alemani Vela 135. And it was outperforming it in terms of penetration, speed, and accuracy. So I think they're legit. But yeah, go check them out. I'm trying I'm trying to find this guy. Uh there's a whole bunch of people. Um I haven't I definitely haven't found him. There's too many Paul Hutchings here. I'll have another look later. Maybe this is it spear guns it's, on it or something. It's no, it's just Paul underscore Hutchings. H U T C H I N G S. Yeah, I've got uh, that. And it's like it's Instagram, yeah. Oh no, hang on. Oh, okay. I'm oh, I'm saying if you're looking at the blue water gun. I got him. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Follow back. He's already Dude. following me. Ah, rad. Sweet. Of course, cool. you're the hammer. <laughs> have you, hey, so have you shot your first Wahoo yet, or what's nah, the deal? Nah, bro, nah, nah. I gotta come over and hang out with you, man. Let's come jump off I, some crazy Oahu shoulder. I, I, I got to, I got a little tip for you because yeah. I hear a lot of guys, you know, they they give tips on how to shoot Wahoo. Mm. They tell you to drop down and then turn the other way yeah. and start swimming the other direction and doing the hokey pokey and all this and that. Yeah, you don't need to do all that. Who, who is the the charter boat captain from Florida that you just had on recently, Captain Bly, maybe. Oh, uh, no, Aaron was, Young. Aaron Young. Yeah, yeah. He he's got the Wahoo dialed, and exactly what he said is, you want to drop down and you want to intersect them. Um, an issue that I had when I when I first started diving blue water, and an issue that I see with a lot of guys is that they're too passive in their diving. Uh, they're not a- aggressive enough on the fish. So I would say when you see your first Wahoo, like. Obviously, you don't want to you don't want to be finning all crazy on the surface and, and swinging your gun around. But you want to drop down. You want to you know strong, purposeful kicks towards the wahoo, right? And then once you get in range, he's gonna be broadside to you, right? 
you know how far your gun shoots, right? Mm. You're, you're going to know that you're in range. Once you're in range, you want to take like three or four strong, hard, good kicks towards the fish. And then the fish is going to start catching on to you. You're going to start swimming away. And that's when you pull trigger. Yeah, right. And 100%, you're going you're gonna to nail them. So just a little tip for shooting Wahoo. Man, I love it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, on my on my trip down to French Polynesia with G, I I lost like a like a like a forty kilo Wahoo because wow. I didn't do that last three or four kicks. So, so I want you to get yours. But oh man, yeah, just yeah. keep that in mind. Well, the old the old Tahiti's been on the list for a while, but these days it's kind of um, Jamie Rives deeply immersed on Instagram. Like he is. Just, I know him. Man, I just yeah. want to. I think I just want to go spend like a week with him. Just get some stuff dialed in, and his knowledge Dude, that these guy's days hardcore. is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I, hardcore. He lives it. Yeah, yeah. I've been talking about him nonstop. Yeah. I look at his Instagram, and I just start frothing. My chest starts just like I just, <laughs> just want to go. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, dude. He gets on those doggies. Yeah, yeah. He's been putting out heaps of rad like tips and stuff too. Like, um. Anyway, we were, we were talking like your blue water roller. So we we we, talk, we got into the nuts and bolts of that. Um, you're using a breakaway. Walk me through your breakaway. Um, obviously, you're like a D shackle man. You've you've parted ways with shark clips for the most part. Actually, man, you know what? And this is going to be like the the kind of veterans vault portion of it. I'm going to get into rigging. Um, so I would say as far as rigging is concerned if you want to shoot big fish definitely got to use either cable or dyneema right um as far as with rollers uh right now i'm currently using cable just because i feel like dyneema is a little bit more prone to band tangles yeah um muzzle wraps is a big complaint yeah and you know a, a remedy to that any any guy that's having issue with with band tangles with his roller um I've got some custom shafts made where I have a shark fin about halfway up the shaft with a hole through it. And I tie the shooting line to that, right? Ah. The theory being the, the wishbones in the rear, that, that line is clearing the muzzle before those wishbones land on the muzzle. I mean, you know? yeah. and, I, and I feel like that kind of prevents that whole band tangle issue. Um, so, you, you know, either cable or Dyneema. And then... I've got that cable rigged up to like a little, um, it's not a D shackle. It's like a sword fishing swivel. Okay. And onto that, I've got like a, a piece of Dyneema that I just tied on there. Right. And then I just, I just clip my tuna clips onto that directly. Uh, okay. and I, I think that's a lot more practical than using a D shackle just because if you've ever tried to undo a D shackle in the water, it's a shit show. You can't do it unless you got a pair of pliers. And if, if you're actually shooting fish and you need to get that shaft out through the fish, like you need something practical, you need to be able to unclip your line yeah, and all that. So absolutely. I think, you know, the robust rice tuna clips or, you know, just something that's solid, as long as it's not like a little rinky dink tuna yeah. clip, <laughs> those will do fine. Yeah. So, yeah, that's as far as rigging, I would say that. And then, you know, here we use like hundred, hundred foot bungees um, to just like a three atmosphere float. 100 foot bungee so what you're getting 300 percent out of that or 200 uh yeah something around there yeah what about for for dog tooth though that'll just you get annihilated won't you i uh, i think i think see i don't shoot too many doggies man but um 
I know, I know guys use like the, the 30 meter hard line for doggies instead of a bungee just to keep them off the reef. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is, and this sounds very obvious, but make sure that you have your, your three atmosphere floats pumped up all the way. I was listening to you and Brett talk about that. I was, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like you were talking about having a compressor on hand and measuring what volume you've got in there, like actually blowing them up to what they're capable of. Yeah, dude, you definitely got to do that. I lost, I hate saying it, I lost like a, a legit 200-pound ahi or yellowfin tuna on the east side of Big Island on a shore dive because I didn't have my, my freaking float pumped up all the way. Uh, <clears throat> I was, we were diving, right? A shore dive. It was like full moon. Um, we had like five sharks under the flashers, just like gnarly ocean conditions. And my, my buddy wanted to stay out a little bit longer and I was over it. I was like, dude, let's get out of here. Like, I don't, I don't feel safe. Like the current's strong and the water was like crystal clean blue. It was just like, it just felt wild. And he was like, let's stay out a little bit longer. And I was like, okay, whatever. So we're doing like, we're swimming up current. We started another drift and this freaking giant ahi comes straight up to the flashers, like legit 200 pound fish. It was bigger than the sharks. I dropped down. I plugged it with the aim right. The fish took off, 100 foot bungee going, 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 going. Right through atmosphere. It was like pumped up, you know, to probably about, I don't know, 10 PSI. I did it with a hand pump. Yeah. And the thing just took it straight down. Yeah. And I, we never saw it again. So three atmospheres is like, what, 40, 44 PSI or something? Um, yeah, I think, I think if you can get it up to like at least 30, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to blow it out, you know, pump it up to 40 and then it blows up in the sun or something like that. Cause it expands with the heat. Right. So I think 30 PSI is good. Yeah. I heard you talking about that three atmospheres too. Like what's your preference now with floats? Um, shoot. What am I using? I'm using like the ocean hunter three atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Those things are a bust. You know, I'd use the rice. I got a gannet too. I had a gannet like spraying a leak on me. Um, and they're kind of hard to get a hold of these days, but you know, rife ocean hunter. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Rob Allen ones. They're, they're a little bit thin yep. and they don't have as much lift. So yep, yep. if that, if you want to use that as part of like your system, like up forward or something, I think that's cool, but I wouldn't be like relying on that. So if you're going out to like Tahiti and you're chasing like doggies again, like big doggies, what, what, what would you be your go-to float? Um, system. Um, so you'd like a 30 meter hard line to a three atmosphere. And then? I mean, like if I'm going to Tahiti, like I'm, I'm probably going for Wahoo and doggies are kind of a bycatch. So I want to have something that has like a little stretch to it. Uh, I would say if you're specifically targeting dog tooth tuna, then yeah, you can use like a, a 30 meter hard line. Uh, but you know, I, I was, I was there last summer and I shot like a, like a 35 kilo doggy and I was just, I was using like a, a hundred foot bungee okay. regular flow, landed it perfectly fine. Nice. So it's good shot it's really about making sure your, yeah, your rigging is good to go and your floats are pumped up. Right. Oh man. Cause a lot of people will be like, ah, oh, you have, you know, you have a, you have a hard line to a 33 atmosphere, then you, you might run a 10 meter bungee to a, another three atmosphere, then you might run another five meter bungee to a hard stopper float or something like that. And uh, people get pretty elaborate. I mean, if, yeah, like if, if to me, like I'm all about being practical, 
and like that whole mess of floats on the boat is just a it's a lot to deal with so yeah. i'm i'm like you know 100 or 100 foot bungee big robust float and a good shot with yeah. some with some solid rigging you know nice. there's some there's so many variables that are outside of your control of spear fishing like like make sure that you you, you crimp your shit okay um you know if, if you're using like 1.4 millimeter cable you want to use 1.5 to 1.6 millimeter crimps and you want to you want to get down hard on that crimper so just make sure your stuff's good to go Ocean Guardian is the world's leading shark deterrent technology, and the great news is they're now partners with the Noob Stereo Podcast. You can save 10% on the Freedom 7 or Scuba 7 when you shop at Ocean Guardian. Uh, use the code NoobSpero at checkout to save 10%. If you want to go there, easy, super easy, go to noobspero.com forward slash OG, short for Ocean Guardian, pretty original, eh? Pump in the code NoobSpero and you'll save 10% on your shark shield device. Get into it, get amongst it. Ocean Guardian are doing awesome things for spears. Are you in the market for a new spear gun? Killshot Spear Guns has got blue water wahoo tuna guns, open track spear guns, enclosed track spear guns, rear handle enclosed tracks. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Even better, I've got some good news for you. You can save $30 on any Killshot Spear Gun at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB. If you're in store, just say, Crikey, mate, or say Shrek from the Noob Spiro sent you, and you'll save $30. Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Check them out. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Friends with Advanced Friends or Video or the Mouthful and Deep Friends or Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. You go out with young guys all the time. I mean, you, you, you've, you've built yourself a pretty solid rep as a decent diver in your area. Um, when you take out guys that are pretty fresh to the blue water gig, um, what do you see them struggle with? Um, I, I would say that, you know, just controlling their nerves when they see a fish. Like, obviously, like when you see like a big blue water fish, even myself, like, your heart starts pump starts pumping like crazy and you know the first thing you want to do is just beeline it and, and pop off a shot i see a lot of guys taking shots too early um you know i'm, I'm not saying i'm above all that but yeah. like when i see when i see a big blue water fish and my heart jumps like i take a second and like all right i'm gonna make my dive and i'm gonna approach the fish i'm gonna shoot it yeah so and then you know another thing is just having respect for the fish that's 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 one thing that I, I learned from from G. He's like really particular about like when you shoot a fish, man. Like don't don't bang it up too much and like you know rubbing off all the scales and and smacking it on the head and throwing it on the deck of the boat. It's a big that's a big beautiful animal and just treat that thing with respect, man. Like you killed that animal. Yeah. Um, there's a quote. There's a movie called A River Runs Through It. Got I think it was Brad Pitt or someone. It's a movie about fly fishing. But one of the quotes that I really like is, uh, if our father had his say, nobody who did not know how to fish 
would be allowed to disgrace a fish by catching him. And that sounds kind of like elitist, but I, I really like, if you're going to go out and you're going to hunt blue water fish, just please have respect for the animal. Make sure you're using the right stuff. Don't go out there with your 110 and, you know, poke holes in fish. So I would say that's one, that's one of the things. Love it. That's really good advice, Nick. Um, for you, like you've been diving for a little while now. Um, what were some areas of your dive technique where you really struggled and what did you do to develop in those areas? Can you think of a, a clear weakness that you had maybe in your diving and how you overcome it? Oh, man. Uh, you know, one, one issue that I had is just diving like straight, straight up and down. Yep. You know, I, I see a lot of guys and even myself, yeah, corkscrewing or diving at like 45 degrees. Yep. And I just resolved that by taking a free diving class and spending some time on the line. Yeah. So it just gets you used to diving direct because you you understand the mechanics. I mean, when you've got a reference point, it's it's pretty easy to dive straight up and down. When you don't, like we do, it's it, yeah. I've seen guys dive well on the line and then pretty shit out in the open. Did you yeah. just make some postural streamlining type improvements? Yeah, I think I think that was part of it. And just, you know, an issue that I see a lot and that I had, especially in blue water, is like you got no frame of reference, right? You don't even have reef below you. So really the only thing that you can use as a reference is like the fish, right? So... For instance, when I make a dive, I'm not I'm not stretching my neck out looking at the fish. I see where the fish is. I have a general understanding of where he is relative to me. I make my dive, and in my mind's eye, I can I can picture where that fish is going, and sort of just like adjust myself and and try and posture myself so that I'm I'll intercept that fish. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like a, a lot of the times, especially when I first started diving, I'd you know dive down and I'd look up, and yeah, the things behind me, he's back over there, you know. So just maybe using the fish as a reference point yeah. and just keeping that in your mind's eye. Um, yeah, I've done that before with like king mackerel or Spanish mackerel over here, and you, you know, like I've tucked my head in and just gone, oh yeah, I'm going to intercept him, I'm going to be there, and then I've popped my head up and I'm way closer to the bottom. And the fish that I thought I was chasing is like, like literally like I could reach out and touch it. And then there's all these other fish that are further out that I thought was the original one. And it takes me a little while to get my bearings again. Have you done yeah. some sort of similar stuff? Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's good to hear I'm not alone. So these days talk me through hunting yellowfin tuna. Like, so you like, I mean, there's a whole different, a lot of different ways you go hunting. I mean, a lot of spearfishing is finding fish. Yeah. How much time do you so, spend researching? Um, honestly, you know, not too much. The good thing about diving in Hawaii is, like, we get we get all species of pelagic fish year-round, right? And obviously some months are better than others for certain species. Uh, most of the time I'm going out for wahoo, and then anything else I catch is kind of bycatch, you know? So, like... Uh, like a big yellowfin tuna, which I have shot in Hawaii, it's, it's kind of like more of a fluke than anything. Yep. I Like if someone says, hey, I'm going out and I'm targeting yellowfin tuna, I'm like, okay, maybe. Like <laughs> <laughs> if one rocks up in the chum, if you're like lucky. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
I, I can I tell you about bluefin tuna though? Yeah. So oh, you did the California uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear yeah. about this trip, man. Yeah, fill me in. So I I I got a buddy that's stationed out in San Diego, and he's got you know like a little twenty six foot Brady White. Yep. Um, and he's big in the spear fishing. He's a frother. And, you know, every summer I like to try and go out there and shoot bluefin. So this past September I went, um, and, you know, for anyone that's not familiar, uh, the West coast of California has a big bluefin tuna run during the summer. And it's a good opportunity to shoot, you know, the fish of a lifetime. So I go out there the first day we take his buddy's charter boat out and we're off one of the, the islands off California. And, you know, it's like 50 nautical miles out there to where, to where the spot is. Mm. And so we're just hanging out on the boat and it's like that typical, like green, murky California water. And I'm just looking out. We're like, we're looking for the tuna because we heard we were there or we heard that they were there. And off in the distance, I see like a finlet sticking out of the water. And then, and then behind it, like just fins and fins and fins and fins. And it was, it was like a 50 meter, like long school of bluefin tuna, just like spinning on the surface. They're just swimming on the surface. It's like nothing I've ever heard of or seen. Right. I don't, I don't know that they do that. Um, the Southern bluefin tuna down in the Yeah, no, I think they sort of do. Like my mate, um, do they? my mate Eckhart, he's saltwater sessions on, um, Instagram. He's got a video about how to find them. And it was some similar behavior to what you're saying. You can see them from the surface, but you've got to, You've got to understand what you're looking for, I think. Yeah, and it's so hard. The The boat captain that we were with and my buddy, they're really good at spotting them. For me, it was hard to differentiate the difference between just like some texture on the water from the wind yeah. versus like a school of them. Yeah, um, that's the vibe I this, got. Yeah, this was like a legit school, like bluefin tuna sickles like sticking out of the water. And, and the way that these schools are shaped is they're kind of like an iceberg. So if you can see them at the top, like there's just a whole group of them down at the bottom. Wow. Right. So we motor up to it and we shut off the boat. We drift perfectly into like the, uh, the path of the tuna. And I punch a dive and, you know, just huge vortex, like 100 to 150 pound tuna. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> the thing is, they don't, they don't completely give it up to you. Like, I was down there and I was like trying to aim up on one, but they're, they're reacting to your actions. Right. Ah. So you kind of got to like, you know, feign a little bit. Anyways, I get a shaft into one, shoot him straight through the back. Thing takes off, starts pulling the float. The school takes off and the fight's on. So I'm like, I'm pulling up my bungee, pulling up my bungee. I got my fighting float, which I clip onto my bungee. Something that they do in California, not so much in Hawaii. I get the I get the bluefin tuna up to the shooting line, right? Yeah. And it's it's like a legit like 150 pound fish at the shooting line. Got the Dyneema on, and I'm I'm just fighting them. I'm trying to get them up, and the thing is just working me, bro. Yeah. Like everyone says, dog tooth tuna is the strongest fish, but like I think you know yellowfin and bluefin, they just got more endurance. They just fight longer, you yeah, know. Right. So I'm fighting this thing for no kidding, like. I got him at the shooting line for like five or six minutes. I'm like, dude, this fight's taking way too long. My buddy finally shows up with the, uh, the backup gun. I load up the backup gun. He's holding the shooting line. I punch a dive to, sh- uh, to put in the backup shot. And dude, like a lightning bolt out of nowhere, like this eight or nine foot streak of silver just comes in. Wow. Wow. Whacks the tail off. 
wax the head, it was a giant Mako shark. <laughs> Freaking huge Mako just oh, rips up my bluefin tuna, takes all my gear down to the bottom, and you know, um, just took the whole fish literally within like like ten seconds. And it, like like I've we've got sharks here in Hawaii, like um, you know, oceanics and gray reef sharks and stuff like that. Dude, that Mako shark was like a machine. Yeah, that, yeah. Those things are no joke in the water. And like, I was, I was like, holy crap, man. I pulled my shooting line up. I got my shaft back. I've got like some uh, 1100 pound spectra rigged on my slip tip. Thing was like sheared clean off, like with a pair of scissors. Thing was just gone. Um, so, yeah. Have you seen that HD footage out the back of a trawling boat before of a Mako? No, I haven't. I've seen this footage, and it's this wide-angle camera, so, like, you can kind of see, like, maybe 80 meters side-to-side vision at the back of this trolling game boat. And the game boat's doing, like, you know, probably, like, 15, 20 knots. And they've got these teasers out in a pattern and lures out the back. And this Mako comes in, and it's moving from one side of the screen to the other, which is covering 80 meters, and it's coming forward at this boat, and the acceleration curve on this animal is like nothing you've ever seen before. It's like they're like the Usain Bolt of sharks. This thing, I think, I think they clocked it at seventy-two kilometers an hour, and I think I don't know how they come up with the figure, but just watching this animal in its element, full hunting, it's that that they are a scary shark, and um, that's so fast. Yeah, unreal, unreal. Um, yeah, man, I, I got out of the water after that. I was like, I'm, I'm hanging it up, bro. I'm not feeding up tuna because it's, it's that murky green California water, man. And it's like yeah, yeah. a big, big animal. I've uh, seen a few guys come unstuck in like the green current, dirty water that's dark. Like I was out with this one dude. He's like, you know, 140 foot diver or something. And here's little old me like flat out diving 60 feet. We're diving together on this channel market. It must have been. Would have been 80 feet or something, but it was dark and current, five meters viz, that nasty green shit where you're thinking like, okay, there's a great white here somewhere. And um, we were having turns at dropping it because with a channel marker, you pretty much like, you you know, you do a drop each, you can tell what's around. Anyway, he, he did a drop and he just bailed halfway and he was like, I'm going back to the boat, bro. I don't like it. <laughs> and I felt so much better about myself. Like just, it's good to sometimes see, really competent people be just as like you know weary and kind of nervous as you are it's kind oh of- yeah 100 percent. yeah i'm like am i am i the only one that's tripping out on this <laughs> dude chris coates recently posted a video of him shooting like uh spanish mackerel on a shore dive off the coast of wherever he's at in yeah. africa yeah this dude is diving like um like before first light in the morning he's making like solid deep drops to like i don't i don't know how deep he was diving but it wasn't shallow in like pitch black water i was like yo this guy is out of his mind like that's some insane diving right there i would not be doing that yeah, those south african <laughs> guys man like he's in uh he's off durban Hardcore. he's off durban but all of those guys the western cape eastern cape divers they are all crazy so that that's why they're some of the best divers in the world that they are 100%. used to just diving slop and diving hard yeah. and just punching dives in miserable conditions and like, you know, they might be in sixty feet, but like, you know, it's different than being in crystal clear hundred foot with no, no, no current and no great whites. You know, like, yeah, you, you got to respect and them. This, eh? 
Dude, they've got the bull sharks out there too. Dude, all the Rob Allen, Chris Coast, those guys are my heroes, man. <laughs> they're freaking they're next level. Yeah. Um have you seen yeah, big Mako shark. Have you seen that um Yako Blignort? Yako. I have not. I have to check him out. He's a comp diver, but he's just like yeah, he's just like one of those dudes where you like, you know, you'd put him up there against the best in the world, you know. Maybe not in yeah. maybe not in the mid. I don't know. I think he has done even well over there, but like you put them in their conditions, and I think that may be unbeatable. If, if they had a world oh, yeah. in South Africa, no one's winning it except a South African. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, have you got any sponsors, man? Uh, no sponsors. Mm. No sponsors. Sponsor myself. Sponsored by Hawaiian Airlines. That's who I work for. So I yeah. get I get some free flights out of that. What do you do? Um, shout out to them. Um, I support their maintenance operation over in Honolulu. Okay. So, yeah. And then part-time work for the, I'm a bosun's mate in the United States Coast Guard. Yeah, I so, wonder what you can Out on the small boats a little bit. Cool, yeah. man. Cool. Right. Hey, let me, let me finish my bluefin tuna story. Though. Yeah, sorry, so, bro. Sorry. <laughs> I, no, no, we're good. We're good. So I get that big tuna text. We go back to mainland California. The plan the next day was to take out my buddy's small boat, the 24-foot Grady White, and go back to the same spot. So we punch it out the next day. Mind you, we're like, it was like 50 or 60 nautical miles to where we were at. Um, but the thing is about tuna is that they move around. So they, they might be one place one day and then the next day they're off in a different area. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're, we're off kind of looking for like the, the commercial fleet, which is like the big boats that, you know, they, they'll find the tuna. So we're, we're looking for the commercial fleet. And it turns out that the tuna were north of the island. So that was like another like 30 or 40 nautical miles from where we were at. So we punch it out there, long ride, and we get out there, man. And it's, it's north of the island. We're in straight up open ocean and we're on like a 24 foot Grady White. I'm looking around me. There is not one commercial boat that's less than 40 feet out there. And it's like, we're in like straight up open ocean, man. So I was like, holy crap. Um, but we start marking tuna. So my buddy, he's at the helm and then I'm with his friend and we're both hanging off the back and uh, we're like sounding for the tuna. And I, I look down in the water, man, and it's it's not green anymore. It's like crystal clear blue water, like yeah. offshore open ocean. Like, I don't know how deep it was there, but it must have been in the thousands of feet. Right. Um, so he marks them. We find them. I, I drop down on the breezer. Again, just school, vortex by them, plug one, big one, boom, 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 get them up, backup shot on the boat. We, uh, we look for the next, we, ne- we find the next school. Um, his buddy gets on one, boom, his first bluefin tuna was like 150 pounds. Then I take the helm, I get my buddy on a breezer, he shoots one, boom, like another 160 pounder. We had like three, like over 150 plus pound tuna on the, on the boat, right? <laughs> and like, it was all in the span of maybe like two hours and like we're all absolutely like losing our minds, like on adrenaline in that moment, you know, we're all yeah. freaking out and I wanted to stay out and keep shooting more. And by <laughs> this point it's, it was like two or three in the afternoon. Yeah. And um, like we're a hundred nautical miles offshore. So my buddy's like, Hey, we got to get out of here. So I was like, okay, let's start heading back to land. So he, we, we got all the tunas on the deck, everything squared away. 
we go to kick the engine on, boom, we're moving. And we can't get the boat above like a thousand RPM. <laughs> so we're like, huh, that's weird. So we, you know, we check the outboard, everything's clear. And we're just, we can't move. We're moving slow. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's the way to the tuna or something. My buddy, the captain, goes to the, goes to the aft deck. And he lifts up one of the compartments and it's completely flooded with water. We're a hundred nautical miles offshore. We're in a wooden Brady White and our boat's flooding. So I was like, bro, get the boat in gear. Me and the other dude, we start bailing water out. Yeah. We get all the water out. We get on plane. Yeah. We find out that the, the bilge had stopped working. Uh, and I guess there was like a leak on one of the ports on the starboard side. Yeah. So we're taking on water. And I'm like, dude, holy crap, man. Like, like I'm in a Coast Guard. Like, uh, like I know when like you're in a hairy situation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got the boat up on plane though. And, you know, we we're, we we're doing like checks every five minutes to see if we were taking on water. And it was pretty good. Um, and we had the decision of whether or not we wanted to stop at the island and try and resolve it or just keep going to mainland Cali. And we decided to just keep pushing towards Cali. Yeah. So of course, once we get out of the lee of the island, we still got another 50 nautical miles or so. Mm. And the conditions just got nuts, like big, huge ground swell. And then like short interval wind swell way offshore. And like I said, it's a wooden boat. I don't know if you've ever been on a Grady White, but they've got like these cabinets for the forward compartment. Every time we slammed on a wave, it sounded like the boat was going to crack in half. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, we're all like white knuckling, you know, the freaking dashboard and it's a real quiet ride. And we're just like, you know, nobody wants to say anything to like make the situation worse. Right. In, yeah. in, in a tight, in a tight spot like that. So we're hanging on and, um, you know, it's just gnarly ocean conditions. And I remember the night before, I don't know if you're like a spiritual man, but I was, I was praying to God for, oh. for tuna. Right. <laughs> I was like, God, you know, I'm only here for a weekend. If you could please just get me a tuna, I would, I would, then I would be happy, you know, selfishly. Yeah. And I remember that prayer. And then in that moment, like, I don't know if it was God or what, but I, I felt, I felt him say like, you know, I provide you with what you, with what you want, but you still don't believe that I can provide you with what you need, which in that moment was my life, you know? Awesome. And I was, I was still, you know, scared, but in that moment I knew that we were going to get home. Okay. Yeah, um, and you know, eventually we made it back safe to the Harbor and I'm sure all the Cali guys listening are like, man, what a bunch of kooks, <laughs> but <laughs> we made it back and, uh, everything was good, but it was, it was definitely one for the books. Um, yeah. So uh, does your faith, is your faith something you anchor your life on or is, or are you like one of those guys that like just prays when you're in a tough, tough situation or you really want something? <laughs> oh man. I, my, my faith is something that I struggle with on a daily basis, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I'd, I'd like, I'd like to say, uh, the first one, but you know, it could, it could be the latter sometimes. But. Yeah. I'm a bit of the latter myself sometimes, yeah. but um, I'm like one of those those tea bags, you know. I'm only decent when I'm in hot water, you know. But um, <laughs> I'm a bit like you, yeah. man. I reckon he's yeah. always he's always got our back as well. I, I share the same view. So, um, Jeepers, you'd be great grateful. You didn't put out like the silence, silence call on the radio. You didn't get to the point of saying a mayday. 
Ah, man. I don't know. I think my buddy had a little bit too much pride for that. He didn't want to call anybody. I was like, yo, I'm about to grab that radio. It's yeah. <laughs> it those hey, and, and But I was thinking all kinds of worst case scenario situations like a radio and then we're going to tie all the blue water floats together and just hang on tight <laughs> if the boat sinks. That's it, eh? Like, sharks in the Great White. Sometimes that's how pe- what people do in, in situations, you know, like um, you learn a lot about yourself when you face adversity, like how you react. Like if you go into like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Like, and you try to be rational and, and think through it like a problem, like you're probably going to be a useful dude in a tough spot. And I, I think, um, you know, and if you're not and you panic or whatever, that's okay, but you can kind of learn and you can and you can move forward and you can – you can change some of that stuff about yourself, but you only know when you do the tough stuff. 100%. This podcast is brought to you by aqualite.com.au. This is the best solution bar none for staying hydrated in the ocean. If you're a Spiro, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a game changer. If you're doing extended trips and the cramp starts to set in and uh, the old body's telling you, hey, that's enough, Just get hydrated and it will save you a whole heap of woe. It's a groundbreaking product that can help you to stay hydrated. It's got low sugar, it's less acidic than other options on the market, it's rapid absorption, help you to maintain performance. Dehydration of just one to 2% can affect your mental and physical performance by up to six or 7%. And as when you're spearfishing, you can tell when dehydration is starting to affect you because the equalization goes out the window. Get Aqualite at aqualite.com.au. It's scientific rehydration that Spiros know and trust. I know because one works there, and that's why we've set up this discount code for you. 10% off when you use the code NoobSpiro at aqualite.com.au. Check it out. Australian-made hydration products tailored for Spiros and a whole bunch of other people that suffer from dehydration too. But check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 10%. Old Man Blue, spearfishing gear made to last. Go to Old Man Blue Dive on Instagram or oldmanblue.com.au and check out some gear made to last. Oldmanblue.com.au Earlier we were talking about like, you were talking about why you froth on spearfishing even more now than you did when you started. And to tie it back into that, I think like, spearfishing is real like there's stuff to be proper stressed about like real stuff like you can die and i feel like it just resets all that bullshit noise of the the everyday stress that like it, it's kind of it's just hum and it builds and builds and builds and going spearfishing just clears it and so when you come back you're exhausted you're wrecked but you've had your stress clock reset and it's like sweet i'm good to roll into tomorrow and it's like it's just good for you eh? Oh yeah, 100%. You hit the nail on the head. And that's so true about like not knowing how you would react in an emergency situation. And like, you know, some guys freeze up and, you know, they just, they fumble up or they, you know, sometimes I get angry myself personally, like. The guy that freezes up you don't have to be the guy that gets angry you can you can be useful just as long as you know that about yourself yeah and then you know the next time a stressful situation comes along hopefully you can react a little bit better i've been um, i've been doing a bit of this work on myself lately like um 
And I'm a big fan of reading like some psychological literature. You know, neuroplasticity is a massive one. You know, you, we can you can rewire and you can you can you know you can change neural pathways so that you have a different response okay. in certain situations. You know, um, therapy helps do it with like super stressful stuff where you've experienced trauma or shame and things like that. But on a local level, sometimes just our basic responses to everyday stresses, we can do stuff about if we're conscious of the process. And um, I think these changes are, are really cool. And I think if we just have a look at them, we can learn, like you said, learn a lot about ourselves and then make small changes. Yeah. What, what, what book are you reading? Uh, I read a book about neuroplasticity specifically. Okay. I also read um, gotta check that out. a couple of um, high-performance books by uh, Stephen someone. And he talks a lot about it, you know, like working through okay. it. Another thing that sort of led me down this pathway recently, and I chatted about it on another podcast a while back, was um, Tom Sandstrom from uh, a mate of mine from Coffs Harbour. He sent me this uh, thing like, "Hey, you got to listen to this Joe Rogan interview. He interviews this Archer dude. His name's Joel Turner, and um, in that, this Joel's like a specialist high performance archery coach. And one of the things he talks about is this open and closed loop." Um, thinking like through a process and i was talking about it with my buddy eckhart how like sometimes when we do monkey see monkey do learning we we just intuitively get a grasp of the concept and do it without actually isolating all of the stages of that process so when we're making mistakes it's very hard for us to isolate in on the one thing that we're doing wrong whereas you know we, we, we just kind of group all of these you know like for example with a duck dive there's maybe 10 different steps if you're conscious of all those 10 steps when you learn, that's a conscious process. That's a closed loop process because you're conscious of all 10 stages. If you're in an open loop, you just duck dive and you're not conscious uh. of all 10 parts of that phase. So when you, when, you, when you have a problem and you're diving, this is what led me to my question with you after about, you know, was there areas of your diving that you consciously improved? Part of what I'm trying to get at is like, what did you isolate in on and how did you overcome it? Um, because a lot of sparrows, we just go spearing and we don't, we don't do this. And if you get in further and further into this open and closed loop thinking about stuff, it, it, it's in every factor of life. Like when I go to do public speaking, sometimes I freeze up due to, due to some past trauma with it and embarrassment and shame and stuff. But also, and, and being forced out of into a closed loop process where, you, where I'm conscious and in the moment and thinking through every stage. I'm, I'm working out of an open loop and I'm just working, operating out of what's happened to me in the past. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about this stuff lately. So, yeah, I'm very interested in, in how the brain works and how we, we work through stuff. And I find spearfishing is this amazing thing that forces us into these situations where, we, where I analyze these things at a much deeper level. And um, maybe I'm overthinking it, which I'm guilty of. Oh, no, man, that's... That's deep, and I think that's a good way to like you know isolate the issue. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. You find you find people sometimes that are, that are amazing, and um, and they they just operate in in a beautiful system that they've worked their way through and made so many fine adjustments and improvements. And the pursuit of mastery, self mastery, is huge. And um, you can become really excellent at what you do if you're conscious of the process and where things are going wrong for you. And you don't, you're not having a judgment on yourself because that's another thing that people do is they 
they just say I am crap rather than like I'm bar- I'm I'm not present in stage four of this process. Right. But I'll, I'll I'll overcome it, you know. So that, so that internal self talk also can derail you. That's deep. Chuck, you're deep, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I go deep, Nick, particularly with dudes like you that are thoughtful and, you know, like, you, yeah. you know, you're open to the, the concepts and the ideas. Yeah. 100%. So speaking of public speaking, that's the number one fear in the world for, I think, most people. Any, yeah. any tips on public speaking? Just a little, little sidetrack. One thing I got out of that Joel Turner interview on Joe Rogan, thoroughly recommend it, 100% recommend it to people because it's broadly applicable to way more things than just bow hunting. Um, he says this, he has this self-talk where he isolates in on the steps of his process. He says them. So like, he'll be like, draw, 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 draw. He might say the same word a series of times to force himself into that moment where he's conscious of being in that process. And then, uh, and then he says this thing, up my presence, which is like, when you you can cue yourself so that you're more present in the moment. It doesn't really matter what language you use as long as it's consistent and it's something that you do when you say it to yourself. And um, I think upping your presence, because a lot of people when they're in front of other people, they want to turn themselves down. There's that, that social pressure to conform, to want to make everyone happy. But if you just up yeah. your presence, just go, I know who I am and I know what I'm about, I know what I've got to do, and just do it. You know, rather than overanalyzing stuff and thinking about what other people are thinking and all this stuff, you, you're not focused on the task at hand. So that was massive for me. I love that. Just, just you know, having that confidence in yourself that you're, you're someone worthy of, you know, saying something. You got something to say. Yeah. And, and man, we're all, we all have that imposter syndrome, you know, and when there's no greater time that it rears its ugly head is when you go to speak publicly. And, Man, I've had some yeah. times where I've been making 200 people laugh their asses off and, and, I, and I really enjoy it. And then I've had the opposite yeah. experience where I'm in front of friends and family and there's only 60 people and, you know, I feel myself making these awkward gestures and I'm just not in what I'm saying. I'm thinking too much yeah. about just crap. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Dang, I wish you would have told me that at the beginning of the interview, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Where were you? Well, this, is about, this is your interview, man. This is not mine. I needed a TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's a, it's, a shame, it's a shame you're not going to get into spearfishing while you're in Japan there. I would really have loved to have heard about that adventure. Oh, dude, I'm coming back, man. Yeah. I'm going to have hot rod spear guns make me one of those undercover breakdown yeah. spear guns, little Lego type situation and sneak that thing in here <laughs> definitely going to come back yeah 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 it's very interesting they're they're part of the world and um i've got this japanese guy and i was going to ask him a series of questions and pre-record the questions and his answers that way he has time to correct the english and you know um that's hard with the language barrier but i mean that's the beautiful thing about learning from different people in different parts of the world eh? yeah, yeah. definitely any other big takeaways from either your California experience that you want to talk about or your um, Tahiti experience? Yeah, I would I would say just in a tough situation. Let me see here. Just in just generally speaking, going back to safety, you know, when you're diving, always make the assumption that you're kind of on your own, even when you're diving with a partner. Um, you shouldn't be relying on your partner to save you from a blackout. Uh, you know, I like, I like personally diving with people that stay well within their limits. I'm not impressed by deep divers or deep diving, anything like that. 
Um, I, I would say if you're spearfishing at depths of, of 30 meters or more, anything can happen. You know, I don't care how good of a free diver you are. So yeah, just take care of yourself while you're out there. And then um, obviously bring an EPIRB or PLV if you're offshore. Um, but even with that, just know that that's not a lifesaver. You got to assume that that thing's working. And then, you know, that radio frequency has to be received and then the asset has to be dispatched. So it's going to be some time before someone gets there. So just, you know, make the assumption that you're out there on your own. Um, and in the Coast Guard, as, as a boat crewman, one of the things you learn is to report everything you think, hear, see, smell, or fear, feel. So that's, that's anything. If, even if you're the most junior guy, if, even if you're the newest diver, you know, on someone else's boat and something looks awry, you know, something smelling gasoline or, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to speak up yeah, and, yeah. and make it known. And, you know, or if the ocean conditions start getting a little bit hairy, um, some of the times other guys are thinking it, but they're just not saying anything because it's just sort of that diffusion of responsibility that happens. You know, don't be afraid to speak up and be like, Hey, the current's getting a little rough. You know, we should probably move spots or the wind's picking up, you know? So I, I would say, yeah, just, uh, Speak up. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's just not even that hard. Freediving for Spearfishers at howtofreedive.com will help you to extend your breath hold, understand your body better, and put you in a better position when you actually get to go out spearfishing. This program is not for noobs, as this program is for people who have some diving under their belts and understand some basic spearfishing safety, but it's perfect for spearos who want a guided, easy to follow and complete program with videos, a clear process, and a set goal. The five-minute freediver works. Get started for free and see if it's for you at howtofreedive.com. There's a tester there. Use the code NOOBSPERO, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O to save some money if you do decide to purchase. Check it out at howtofreedive.com. Freediving for spearfishers, a fantastic way to prepare, especially if you've got a big trip coming up. Get to that five-minute mark, and it does translate to your diving at howtofreedive.com. I like that, man. One thing I like about Hawaii is I feel like there's a sense of honor like about the people, uh, most of the people that come from there, there's always exceptions, but like you guys seem to have a respect for your elders, like people that have been doing it a long time and knowledge does seem to pass down more freely than in a lot of our more westernized cultures. I know Hawaii is part of America, but it's, it's very much its own thing. Is it, can you comment on that? As far as respecting their elders, I feel that's more of like an Asian thing. Yeah, right. I, yeah. Because you guys Probably, call, I mean, call people like uncle, predominantly uncle. Asian. Oh, yeah, uncle, auntie. Is that not, not an honorific? Is it like a title of respect? Yeah, it, it can be. It, it can be, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you definitely want to respect your uncles. And if, if they show you spots, or, um, 
no, like one of my, one of my good buddies, uh, we, we were, we were chopping up some fish in his backyard and, you know, I was kind of butchering this Ono and my, my uncle, my Hanai uncle or his dad came over and he was like, Hey, you know, make sure you respect the fish when you, when you fillet it. And then, you know, he came over, took the knife and showed me, you know, make sure you don't booger up the fillets with all the fish slime and, and put the paper towel on top and the bottom and bag them up nice, you know, just treat it with respect. And that was, you know, that's one thing I took away from him. But yeah, the uncle's always got knowledge. And of course, you know, just with spots and stuff, I've caught cracks from some uncles for, for blowing up a spot and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely there's a, there's a huge amount of, you know, respect is important, especially in the, in the spearfishing community in Hawaii, because it's so small, like, uh, you get a bad name for like blowing up a spot or something. People are going to know who you are, you know? So it's, yeah, it's like, it's a good, like sort of self-regulating culture. So yeah. Nick, I feel like we've just touched the service, bro. I feel like uh, you and I could chat for hours. Um, I've really, really enjoyed having you on the show. I'm so glad that we were able to make it happen today. Like I uh, really appreciate you making the effort, man. I know you jet lagged and in Japan and you, you, but you made time, man. And I know we've got the restaurant in the background or the, the hotel lobby, um, but I really appreciate you making time, man. Dude, Shrek, thank you for having me on, man. It's been an honor. Yeah, I, I've been listening uh, since it was, you know, you and Turbo days. So <laughs> it's seriously an honor to be on here. Thank Good. you so much for having me, bro. Man, awesome. People can come find you at like Team Sea Monkeys. Is that Team Sea Monkey or Team Sea Monkeys? Yeah, at Team Sea Monkeys on Instagram. If hey, you have any questions or you want to go dive, go ahead and message me. Where did that name come from? Oh shoot! It was it was me and one of my first dive buddies, Zane Sekigawa. He's a legend here, and we were just sitting around and came up with it out of nowhere. Team Sea Monkeys <laughs> has a nice ring to it. Yeah, Seen cool. those underwater monkeys swimming around. What's well, cool, like Nick? Yeah. Mate, don't thank be you, a, don't be a stranger, bro. Um, always reach out and uh, thank you so much for serving with the Coast Guard and helping out muppets like me that get stuck out at sea and like under-equipped boats and stuff. Dude, I'm the one getting stuck. (laughs) 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 Hey, guys. Nick Anastasia at Team Seamokies on Instagram. Absolutely rad, dude. Really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Like I said, sort of a wild man, but very contained as well and absolutely rad guy and definitely someone worth following on instagram at team sea monkeys i uh, hope you enjoyed today's chat it was brought to you by patron legend listeners who support the show on an episode by episode basis um, for as little as four dollars a month you can get on there and keep fuel in the noob spirit outboard help us power along next week we are going to david ochoa uh, he is probably one of the world's uh top spearfishing guides and I'm going to call him that. Like he's definitely sought after, highly regarded, a brilliant underwater photographer. He's brought some of the best uh, spearfishing cinematography to our lifestyle. Uh, I, I call him a friend. He's a really cool guy. And we talk about the infamous Latham Island dog tooth filmmaking, chasing your dream, and all the other good things that are part of our spearfishing lifestyle. Come back next week, my friends, uh, and froth on with David Ochoa. Hey, Again, go to patreon.com forward slash noobspiro if you want to put fuel on the noobspiro outboard. Muchas gracias. Buenos dias. That's, I'm done. That's my Spanish. Done. I'm out. See you guys. 
My partner and I are getting into spearfishing and didn't know where to start. The staff here at the Adreno Woolongaba store were great and spent a lot of time with us helping work out exactly what we needed. We'll be going back whenever I need more gear. That review from Lachlan. Buy your spearfishing gear at Adreno. They've got huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country or you can shop online at adreno.com.au. Even better, sweeten it up with the code NoobSpiro. Save yourself $20 on every purchase over $200. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Absolutely mint customer service. Specialty spearfishing equipment, elite spear gun performance components, unforgettable reliability. You want to find out where to buy this? Punchaneptonics.com and shop at the best US spearfishing store, neptonics.com. Free shipping to the lower 48 when you spend over 199 and you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. This is your chance to save DOSH, buy deadly good gear and experience A-grade customer service. Will you shop at the best? Visit neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to start shooting 35-pound muttons tomorrow. Actual performance may differ from advertisement. Please refer to terms and conditions to see if you're eligible to be a legend-like Shrek. This advertisement was not even endorsed by Jerry and the team at Neotonics. Hoorah and God bless America.